0: Hello and welcome to Perspective. This is a show by founders of digital creative agencies giving our perspective on starting and running our own companies. This is our 24th episode. My name is John Dark. I'm a director at Every Interaction. And joining me today as always, I've got Dan Gent from
1: Lighthouse London. Hello, Dan. Hey, John. How's it doing? All good, thanks. All good. Trying to avoid the rain. Yeah, that was really filthy today. Sunny now, though. And actually a light evening. I mean, obviously people can listen to this anytime they want. But normally we record about 8pm at night, and I don't remember the last time it was light outside.
0: No, it's a refreshing change. But I've got all my curtains closed to help with sound insulation, so I can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, me too, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, And today we thought we'd do something a little bit different. We've got a uh, a listener question. Steve Calburn, long-time listener, big-time fan, writes in to ask us to talk about... Why people starting their own companies? Why do people start their own companies, given that the rewards and workload can be tough? What is that certain something that we get out of doing it for ourselves? Thanks, Steve. That's a really good question.
1: Fans. Fans? <laughs> yeah. you know, It's good to have fans. Steve's a big-time fan, which is a uh, nice to hear, and that's why we do it for ourselves. Fame and glory. That's why I yeah. wanted to do it. <laughs> and, now we, and now we've got it. What do we do? <laughs> Where's there to go now?
0: <laughs> so let's let's rewind. Let's go back to the beginning, Dan. Mm-hmm. What what led you to start Lighthouse at the beginning rather than keep on doing whatever it was that you were doing before? What were you doing before? I've forgotten.
1: I was a developer, kind of being transitioned into a technical account manager, I think, but that was basically because the place was getting rid of people slowly. And I think I was tactically moved somewhere where the development team could be reduced and I was still a developer, but not in the development team anymore. So the writing was on the wall. Yeah, I suppose so. Um although I don't think that's why I did it. I think it was probably just blind optimism, I expect, that, that that led it to happen. I was I was thinking about this. I think definitely my career up until that point things had mainly gone well. And I think I probably said a a slight air of arrogance in the, oh, well, this will work as well then, you know. (laughs) Because there was a developer back in, uh, when was this, the noughties. It says to be mid-late noughties, I think. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's how old we are, right? Yep. Developers, well, web development quite hot property you know i mean as in you could basically there were lots of agencies lots of jobs and essentially if you just move job every two years you'd people kept wanting you you know you you wouldn't be looking for a job for long and you'd find somewhere and people would you know not chuck money completely at you but certainly there wasn't a lot of negotiation you could basically say well here's what i want and people generally paid it Mm -hmm. um and i think Like that, I did, you know, so I had like three jobs before and I just, I think I was just like, well, this is going to go, you know, I didn't have any fear about it not working because everything had kind of worked up until that point. And I think I also saw it as like a career thing. I think in the back of my mind, I was like, well, this doesn't work. That's okay because I can clearly get a job in about a week. I've already proven that. And I'll only be more exciting to those people for having started my own business. That's what I think that's what I said to myself. Because I must have said something to myself because there's no way I'd do it now. (laughs) (laughs) So you you, it was you did it
0: on purpose, basically. It was you it was a, a premeditated act to to actively start your own agency.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I'd say to I mean, it was me and Tom, so it was an agency and we gave ourselves a name, so yeah. It was more just to go, kind of just freelance, really. I suppose to, well, we 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 gave ourselves a name, so we must have always thought we were going to do something with it, rather than just be, Dan Tom freelancers working together. But yeah, no, completely. Like we've been we've been doing it on the side for a while, and those projects kind of kept getting bigger. And by bigger, I mean literally the project we jumped in on is probably about three days wages now or something you know what I mean it was kind of like there's no way to would do it now I mean that's exaggeration but certainly it wasn't you know I think we had a we got a project that was like four grand and mm-hmm. it was like that's both of us and it was like well here we go then you know what I mean let's <laughs> just jump it. jump into this pool of money <laughs> exactly <laughs> um I think it was just confidence really you know right right experience up until that point and then nothing that said it it wasn't going to work I suppose how about yourself yeah a lot less purposeful I um, I was already
0: freelancing after having moved through a couple of jobs and a couple of long freelance gigs and I came upon an opportunity to take on a couple of freelance jobs where I didn't need to be in-house and I'm one of those people who just can't work from home uh, it's mm-hmm. just too distracting. I can't. I can't concentrate enough to get stuff done. Home to me is where I don't work. I got quite a clear distinction between the two, and had a quite a small flat at the time, so there wasn't a lot of additional space to, to move around in. So, some friends of mine who were running a branding agency just moved into a new office, uh, which was quite big for their size at the time, and had some had some availability, basically a bit of space to let out. So I thought, jump on the opportunity. I'll do my freelancing from their office and work on some gigs from there and treat it, treat it like my own sort of freelancing operation. And at the same time, I had uh, sort of been communicating a lot with Neil, my co-founder, because we were each other's go-to recommendation for all the jobs we couldn't take on because we were too busy. And we were both constantly referring projects to each other because neither of us could take them on because we were already at full capacity as lone freelancers. And so we were doing that for a little while and a couple of opportunities came up that were too big for any one person to take on. So we thought, well, let's let's try teaming up and taking taking on all those things that we keep referring to each other and keep turning down and let's take on a few of these bigger opportunities that keep coming along. And for us, we didn't think of it like an agency, I don't think, for quite a while. We were just uh, Mm -hmm. a collective of two freelancers sort of working together it was just uh, John and Neil, and we didn't have a name, right? Neil had some of his clients, I had some of my clients, basically, and we were figuring out the difference between us at the end of each month, and sort of invoicing each other for the the difference, whoever brought in more money, essentially. Right. Okay. I think they went on that way for about three years. We we had at some point during that three years, probably in about a year in, we had decided to, you know, we need to make this a bit more official. We want to started becoming, mm-hmm. it just sort of naturally fell into being more agency-like rather than being independent freelancers who had a bit of extra resource. And we, we started spending more time in the office together, going to meetings and uh, first client contacts, pitches, all those kinds of things together as uh, John O'Neill with no brand. And then it took us two years to figure out a brand and a name. <laughs> and eventually nice. we, after many, many discussions, settled on every interaction and made it official.
1: Nice. So we sort of fell into it naturally. Yeah, I mean that's, I suppose, our beginning was very much led by Tom, really, which was when we were both working, he would get design jobs because he worked at um, Imperial College and there were lots of places, lots of people in Imperial College that would say, hey, we need a website. And Tom would say, well, it's not actually my job to build you a website. The main college website is my job. Mm -hmm. But i do have weekends and if you've got a budget you can i'll do a bit of design work for you and he'd do that and then eventually they started to ask him to build things that needed databases and stuff like that and um yeah i think the first job he called me in on was a some kind of quiz questionnaire kind of vibe (laughs) which you know is as any developer knows is sounds very simple in concept, and then as you start unpacking it um there's lots of stupid little bits to it and he kind of got got it in a bit of a mess. So I kind of helped him with that over a weekend. Pre-Survey Monkey. It was pre it might have been it might have turned into Survey Monkey. Yeah, that might have been <laughs> the, the origin. Whoever we did it for might have taken it. Um no, yeah, it was pre-Survey <laughs> Monkey. And yeah, and then so then I would just do that at weekends and he'd get these gigs that people wanted stuff for. And I, yeah, I don't, you know, it's one of those decisions where you're like, I can't remember the first time we said, let's both quit our full-time jobs and do this. It just slowly became obvious. And then the the ridiculous thing about, you know, you're talking about, oh, is it a risk, like, you know, to, to quit your job? The thing I waited to do was buy a house. So basically, <laughs> like, you can't really get a mortgage on a, I've just started my own business and have no guarantee of income so i like tom started um he he quit his job I don't know he got i think he got a like a, a lack of redundancy so he did it the right way you know took a bit got got a little bit of a payoff which let him settle out over the first few months i basically Got myself a mortgage, like you know, the most debt you're gonna get in your whole life, and uh, and then at that point I was like, hooray! Guess what, bank, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> um, obviously, I didn't tell I didn't tell them that. And then I remember, I definitely remember like kind of a, a a chat over whatever the cool IM tool of the time was. uh What was the Microsoft one? Instant Messenger. Yep, I think so. Yeah, is that AOL? what it was called? That one. <laughs> or, uh, it wasn't ICQ. I think I think we used <laughs> I think we used like a a thing called Trillion, which like was like a wrapper for them all. It was uh, amazing, mm-hmm. and I just remember a, a chat with him while I was at work at the end of you know on my job, and he was already full time. Where there was a bit of from him, a bit of oh, you know, well, I don't know if you should start in March because have we got this money and that money and yeah maybe let's wait and i just remember being like nope no way you're you're not kind of quitting your job and doing it and i don't get to quit mine it's so <laughs> just like no that's not i was like that's not happening i'm yeah, you know, i'm handing in my notice now i've got a mortgage and yeah i suppose there's it sort of helps to go into the deep end a bit i think mm-hmm. because if you because if you do something and you're you're competent at it and you can actually talk to people and convince them you should do it. Nothing's going to make you do those things more than relying on those skills to to actually get money. So you kind of learn quite quickly, I think. So, yep. yeah, you know, unless you're jumping in to some kind of discipline where you're just not sure if there's any demand. I mean, it's clear there was demand for what we were doing. So it was more just a case of can we get through until we've got like some regular clients, I suppose.
0: So uh, what, what was the turning point where you thought that, Hey, this is, this is a good idea. We should, we should keep doing this and double down.
1: I suppose the fact that we could work together, Mm -hmm. realizing that because I've known Tom since I was 11. Um, and so there's not really many people I've known since, you know, the first year of secondary school who I could, you know, friends that are that good that you could also work with. Like there's plenty of people who I'm just as good friends with, who I just would never ever contemplate doing that with. So I suppose there was the fact that that relationship was actually going well. Like we weren't annoying each other, we weren't letting each other down in any way. In fact, we kind of both clearly had the same values and work ethic towards the towards the actual business. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I suppose Tom getting made, Tom getting his redundancy thing, probably was. It was obvious to him that he should try it because that's the time you try it. Mm-hmm. And then, as I say, I was just like, "Well, yeah, it was his idea in the first place to get me involved." I was like, "Well, you've convinced me now, so I'm going to do it as well." You know. So yeah, it's really you know I I kind of I remember like a couple of snapshots of conversations in in pubs and things like that. I don't think there was a turning point really, other than just eventually, as I say, it became a point of like, can I borrow hundreds of thousands of pounds before doing this just to make it that much more um spicy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> nice. What about so you, your one was just that you basically I suppose just started building up work? Essentially, yeah. I think
0: I think there are a couple of milestones that sort of marked it in my mind, at least in my memory, of you know, what what turned it into what I thought was, yeah, this, this is, this is going to work. This is, this has got legs. And yeah, the first time I think was when we, we got a project where we needed to get additional help
1: mm-hmm.
0: where we needed to bring in somebody else with, uh, I forget the details, but I think it was a cup. We needed somebody with some more illustration skills and even a bit of animation skill. Cause it was doing some flash stuff back in the day. And, mm-hmm. um, also, just capacity. Like we needed some some more bodies in there doing production work with us to help deliver the thing that we've agreed to do. It's at that point where I thought, well, we're starting to we're starting to take on things here that are beyond just the two of us, and that made me think that this could scale, that we could grow, that we could get some more interesting projects. And yeah, those early projects, we I think we took on almost anything that came along at the time. Hmm. I think that that particular piece was for. Monocle. Yeah, it was the launch. It was the pre-launch for Monocle 24 radio uh, to do an interactive presentation for Tyler Brulee to take around the world to investors to get sponsorship opportunities for the launch of Monocle 24. And it was to talk about the radio station and all the things it was going to do. And we uh, animated a load of these scenes and put together this crazy flash presentation that launched as a desktop app. That could be used as a sort of animated presentation tool, sort of thing you'd probably just doing Keynote today, but yeah. um, it wasn't nearly advanced enough at the time to do anything like that. And a second job where we were working on a recruitment platform project, where yeah, I think it was one of the first, one of the first sort of product jobs, product UX UI jobs that we did, that was our own project that we were doing, I think from the ground up. Uh, to get them launched to an mvp uh, when it was just the founder or founders and kind of helping them get out the door with their very first version of the product right and that was something that really appealed to us and that, that was the genesis of like, what eventually became the thing that we decided to specialize on and you know make the heart of what we do at every interaction one thing that always came as a surprise to me when both taking on these projects and also just you know starting a company in general it's just just how much work is involved. Mm-hmm. I hadn't anticipated that it would be quite so difficult, I guess, because we'd come from a place where everybody, all the other things about running a business, including getting the work in the first place, managing the clients, uh, figuring out all of the little details of how to run the project, managing cash flow, paying the rent, mm-hmm. doing everything else, managing your freelancer bills, all these things that, always been abstracted away because someone else was employed to do them everywhere else I'd worked. So now things are on our shoulders and all this sort of responsibility had piled up and and all the time, even though it was just two of us at the time, it still took a bit of time to do all of this stuff and, and to win the work in the first place. Something I'd yeah I'd only ever done as part of a larger team in certain agency. And yeah, it it was always it was a bit of a shock to me at the beginning how how much extra work all that stuff is and how much of my time it took up that I couldn't just be sat there doing the design stuff that I wanted to do all day every day at the time.
1: Yeah, fair. Yeah, I suppose I think Tom and I were already we were already quite accustomed to the we need to sell this stuff because we had been doing that to the you know to these projects from before. We'd go and meet people and also you know Lighthouse wasn't our first venture when we were Thirteen, fourteen. 14 we released a fanzine called propaganda <laughs> awesome printed print of course yeah printed and available in record shops i mean mm. there was internet but we certainly weren't on it um, <laughs> i think propaganda may be appearing digitally at some point in the future i think it's being used as an internal project to try some stuff out digitalizing that um That incredible journal. Um, And for that, you know, and this was, again, this was kind of Tom, it was the same vibe, Tom doing a lot of kind of entrepreneurial making stuff happen and then me going along for the ride. So he would ring record labels and get them to send him free records because at the time there was no digital music. So Mm -hmm. the way you promoted a single was you siphoned off however many copies of that 12 inch to send out to journalists I can imagine Tom doing that wheeling and dealing on the phone and- yeah <laughs> and then you and then a percentage of that siphon you know you didn't send to the major ones you kept them back for for the indies and uh we were one of them we we sold 50 copies that was our maximum ever run mm-hmm. but we got so many records and this was Tom calling getting us gig tickets getting us all this stuff so you know, we had I think from that, and then we did like we used to do wedding DJing as well, um, nice. and that was a <laughs> that was another one where Tom was like, we were de- we were DJing at someone's party, and some guy came up to us and was like, oh, I'm I'm starting a nightclub. Will you come and Will you come and DJ at my nightclub? And I was like, yes, of course, we'll DJ at your nightclub. We're amazing <laughs> DJs. Uh, took his <laughs> took our number, and then the next day he rang me up. And I was like, oh, I was on a coach somewhere or something. He rang me up and was like, "Yeah, actually, it's not a, uh, it's not a nightclub. It's my wedding next month. We, you, you know, we DJ at my wedding." And I was like, "No, <laughs> <I don't laughs> DJ at weddings, mate. We're we're top quality DJs. We right? DJ at weddings." <laughs> and then and then I texted Tom. Was like, that guy asked us DJ at wedding. And Tom was like, "You can get paid lots of money for DJ at wedding." Texting back now and say yes, we will DJ for him, and it's this much money. And I was like, all right, okay. And then so we became wedding DJs for a little bit. So we'd already, so we'd kind of had this. Starting sort to sound of- more like Trotter's independent traders. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are running it. around in that's a what, yellow Reliant Robin. What I thought. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I thought the websites would be, John. I thought, I thought, yeah, we'll shift a few websites and then we'll move on to something else. But but it's lasted. No, yeah. So it's kind of, we already had that kind of, that side, that sort of the businessy side of it was already something we were quite accustomed to. And I don't know. I think for me, it was like, I was no longer working at the weekends. So it actually... I was probably working a little bit less because I'm a bit like you. I can't work from home, so we, you know, we got ourselves some desks. You know, suddenly it was like, well, I've got all week to work on this stuff now. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it felt like less. It felt less work at first because you were doing so much in your spare time to yeah. kick things
0: off in the first place.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and and I know I don't remember feeling that fussed about but we running it, but we were quite simple. Like we had, like we rented desks. So that wasn't a huge overhead. Same here. Yeah. It was just the money we took out really was our only, our only cost. And I was pretty naive to all the other stuff. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, um, tax, et cetera. <laughs> oh, that thing. Oh, I, yeah. I need to pay that. Do I? Uh, yeah. Well, and yeah, by naive, uh, you know, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't avoid it, but I just didn't really think about it until it till the bill came up. So I'm pretty sure there were several points in those early months, years where we could very easily have been wiped out by a an accounting underestimation. <laughs> but um, there's that point, isn't it, where suddenly HMRC decides to hammer you? Like there's it's sort of like oh you're you're just messing around now. Oh, i right, your business. So next time we speak to you, it's going to be serious. And I think that you know we hit that point, made it through, and we're like, okay, we need to tighten up that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that yeah, so yeah, luck really. I think was how we got through that beginning bit. I expect. Okay, so there there wasn't much of a plan.
0: Didn't have a business plan written out, goals, (laughs) targets.
1: No, (laughs) no, no, not really. We We just we just were getting. But then at the beginning as well, it's quite. It doesn't take as much effort to kind of increase the sort of project size, right? So at the beginning, you're not, like you say, you're scrap you're basically taking on anything. So you're taking on stuff. You're probably not charging enough, and it's small stuff. So you know, doubling the doubling your average project size at the beginning can just be the difference of saying a different price or randomly walking into someone with like a medium-sized project rather than a tiny project. Mm -hmm. You know, that like now it's so much harder to kind of step up the type of client you do, whereas then you could step up the type of client uh, by bumping into someone in a bar, you know what I mean? It was like you could suddenly, an opportunity would come up and people would be like, yeah, you're completely really cheap, so of course, (laughs) like, and you seem quite good, so... Mm you know clearly clearly we're going to do it um, you know as much I think that beginning bit that stuff's quite easy because you well if if you're any good you probably are quite cheap desperate for work quite good mm-hmm. and and def, that's a very easy thing to buy
0: <laughs> yeah very true yeah I, I meet people these days and everything seems to be in a similar situation starting companies from scratch seems to be a lot more premeditated there's a lot more thought mm. behind it they treat it much more seriously like a like a real startup with goals ambitions sales targets finance plans uh, growth plans everything else you can you can think of stuff that
1: we probably didn't think about until year three but who did you look at back then as a role model because i i, I expect that's because you know now there's business leaders in this space, are like heroes, and they write books, and and I think the the people that are writing books, ah, that's probably not true. I probably just didn't read them, but I uh, <laughs> kind of I kind of feel like the people whose books I could have read back then, probably quite stuffy, bigger, you know, bigger company. That that sort of small, lean company being really cool and famous. Mm-hmm wasn't maybe quite there and the, and the sort of the heroes i had in the industry weren't writing about business they were writing about how to C- css, CSS. And, yeah. yeah exactly you know what i mean they they didn't care about business either like i think our industry at that point didn't have those people focused on the business rather than the the doing yeah maybe it was a lot, yeah, s- it was a lot smaller it was
0: a lot everyone did a lot broader things there weren't many specialists yeah um yeah it was a different Different world. We're sounding it's probably old. easier.
1: No, but was probably easier, right? There was probably less, you know, less people to kind of pick from if you wanted to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. So maybe it didn't have to be as good. Maybe now, like if you don't go out there with those uh, those targets, um, then it's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's a different world. I think I think you can probably still fumble your way through it, but it's definitely not as easy to do so as it once was. Yeah. There is a lot more pressure. Everything costs more to do these days, including, you know, getting desks and employing people and, you know, trying to figure out what it is that you're selling in particular, because there's so much competition.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say we had much of a plan either. We really just sort of fell into it. Like I say, we found those, those projects that we really latched onto and realized that this was something... We really enjoyed, we were really good at, and not a lot of people were, were doing because obviously most people were just sort of your out-of-the-box, full-service agency doing a little bit of everything and anything. Yeah. I don't know who, my, who the people I looked up to would have been either. Um, the only people in industry at the time, I guess, were were bigger agencies, the sorts of people we'd come from. And I wanted to do something different to what they were doing. I wanted to be different to what they are. I still do. I think the only only people who we would have looked up to, but I didn't know particularly well at the time, were people like ClearLeft, Mm -hmm. Uh, the sort of smaller independent agencies doing interesting things, starting to specialise. But I don't know, it it was difficult. to. The news cycle didn't exist. The the communication channels were hardly there. It was difficult Mm -hmm. to know what companies were around and what was happening in industry and what,
1: what people were doing unless unless you knew them in your network absolutely yeah I think we had um we had a friend who is still a friend who runs a film production company and uh I remember just before actually this might even be my turning point or at least a, a, a moment of decision is that me and Tom went for a drink with him and he just started this company and was yeah been doing it for sort of six months and I think we were just like wow like how do you does it work basically like you know if you quit your job does it work and he was just sort of like yeah it's fine you know people uh-huh. come and people want what you do and they pay for it <laughs> so that was sort of like yeah you know, seeing i think seeing a peer like do it and and thinking okay you're not uh like and he was very much a a creative person you know he got into it because he wanted to make these films um so it was very similar like he wasn't yeah we knew people that had gone and started businesses but they were like they're quite go they were into business mm-hmm. and i think like we weren't particularly you know other than obviously the massive successful wedding djing and <laughs> and the fi- the 50 copies sold uh fanzine you know we were doing it because we wanted to build stuff and i think we could see that like you know you could be successful with it but yeah we just I didn't have that kind of oh this is how we're going to grow it I just thought, like if, like I say, I I think I just thought for from a career point of view, it was like, well, what's there to lose here? This either works and something really cool comes out of it, either a you know, a a business that works, or or someone interesting gets us to come and work for them, or it doesn't work, and I'm turning around and going, well, I've been cto an agency you know however however small i could be i could say that Mm -hmm. and um and i'd be able to go back into the agency world at a more valuable level Mm -hmm. i just don't know if that would be possible now Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like if i tried to go back into the agency world i have no idea what would happen did you have any friends who
0: did something similar who started their own
1: companies other than me other than you and um (laughs) and as i say this this guy did videos um not not sort of agency stuff really okay. um we we moved in with a small smallish agency who were already a bit established so i think we could see from what they were doing we had something to measure ourselves against right. in terms yeah. of that's useful in terms of how they were operating you know just mm-hmm. anecdotally and just you know you see them in the office like what are they like how many meetings are they having mm-hmm. you know things like that and you're kind of like well we're having Kind of, we' you know we're just as many people are coming through the door to sit with us so you sort of felt a slight comfort of that must be okay then yeah
0: yeah yeah I want to expand on the point earlier about not having any sort of peers I guess to to look up to mm. necessarily uh, I say that from our what ended up being our our discipline of doing user experience design specifically because that's something we decided to specialize on but, um, yeah, I definitely had a lot of inspiration from friends, uh, friends I went to university with who I moved into a shared uh, flat with when here in London, soon after after coming to London, they they formed an agency from, from one of their bedrooms, you know, in our shared flat right. and started up their own agency. And I think that was very inspiring to me and I always admired them for doing that so soon. They did mm-hmm. it a good five years before I did. And um, Ben and Andy started multi-adapter from that bedroom and they were the ones who moved into the office that I took a desk in and I stayed mm-hmm. with them in that building for five years. And you know, we both grew our agencies together. Uh, they eventually grew to the point where it made sense for us to move and now they're a very successful branding agency and I've always looked up to those guys and the way that they do things. Okay. And I also had a friend, Evan, who ran an agency called SIPA, who more into sort of projection mapping and and big sort of event style interactive mm-hmm. experiences. And again, another guy who he started that from university and got some really big clients. And, and he expanded that at an amazing rate and is still doing really well with it. And, you know, it's people like that I've always looked up to. They weren't direct parallels with what we ended up doing, but it was all – yeah design in some form and these guys started their business and it was interesting to watch them grow and be Mm. around them as it happened and i think definitely learned a lot from from being being with them as as those companies grew and uh yeah still look up to those guys they're all doing really well still
1: yeah i think um along the way you you bump into people who you can then use you know you can who can mentor you either like officially or, or unofficially like I think we learned a lot we learned a lot from clients really clients that could see what we were good at and what we weren't good at and we were prepared to take the rough with the smooth and we were prepared to say okay I get that you're a bit haphazard with your resourcing because there's two of you and you don't know what you're doing yet mm-hmm. um, but we like the work so we'll put in that extra effort on the you know we'll will allow that or or we'll We'll manage that a bit more for you. Mm-hmm. We had a client who was basically when when we sort of agreed to the job was like, oh, you know, what are your what are your payment terms? Mm-hmm. And we were sort of like, well, you know, normally we do the job and then invoice you. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, no, that's rubbish. it's rubbish. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it's like like that's awful. It's like you've you've got to ask for sixty percent upfront and then negotiate down to fifty. <laughs> see, we were like we were like right, and he was like, the That's reason a good client yeah, he was like, the reason you guys people like you guys go out of business is cash mm-hmm. he's like and you, you you need to be you need to be invoicing up front you know and it was sort of like it was said as an aside like he, he saw what was going to go wrong with us and and just was like no i- w- I'd rather have the work than have you sh- i think he he identified the risk was mm-hmm us overextending ourselves, not getting paid, the project going badly, he'd probably had that before. And he was like, I know that if you've got money, you'll you'll be you'll be able to do this job. Mm. Um and I think, you know, there's there's instances like that. And yeah, like every now and again we sort of stepped it up to be like, right, it's time to get serious. Um after using the mortgage to start the company, I then found out that me and my wife were going to have a baby. And that was a catalyst to that was actually probably like a second birthing of the company, okay. birthing being the right word. Um, in the at that point, we had to sit down and go, you know, we're paying, we're paying the rent and getting enough for the mortgage, and that was the point where we set a plan. Mm-hmm. I think it was about two years in. It was a point of no return. It, yeah, well, it was, it was, it was a crossroads because it was basically saying, look. This is no longer about me. I'm going to have kids, and you know I can earn more if I went and got a job, at a, bit, at a company. Mm-hmm. You need stability. That's it. How do we get to the point where where it isn't obvious that I should go and get a job at another company, mm-hmm. or, or at least isn't you know that isn't something that isn't a question anymore? So that was definitely a catalyst to, to start trying to hire people, and start trying to step it up a bit. What does it feel like? hiring that first person was was as a as a business owner. Well, not disappointed by the result, just in case he's listening, because it still works for us. <laughs> but I was slightly disappointed by the like it was one of those things I'd always look forward to because I love a good job interview. And I just was like, wow, it's gonna be so cool when we're picking the person to expand the team with. And then how hard it was to get good people to come and Talked us about the job. I was just, I was like, ah, right. So actually, the choice I have here is between people that I'm just not sure, and there's some people who are just not sure can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this person hasn't turned up, this other person is really nice, but uh, is it really gonna make us better? And then we just fluked it. The the guy we've got who's still still with us, um, also applied, Mm -hmm. and it was just like, right, well clearly you should work for us and then you know and then you started working for us it was like okay you're like better than even we thought then so that's amazing yeah it was quite a as i say i was sort of hoping to like meet all these cool people and and it just to be like this real sort of exciting thing and instead it was quite a like mm, this is a bit it's <laughs> mm-hmm. a bit concerning actually you know i mean this is really difficult and and i think we were a bit scared about you know can we afford it that was a big fear point but we we spoke to someone just before that actually who we still work with now as well a a kind of financial consultancy well kind of doing all those bits that you should do but aren't very good at like Mm -hmm. they kind of do they sort of do financial modeling and things like that we spoke to them just before it they were just starting as well um a lovely woman called rachel and she just looked at the business and kind of gave us a yeah you should be all right hiring someone and we were like all right Cool, we'll do it then. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I think
0: for me, taking on someone, um, in fact, it was a long time until we made our first hire. We had a series of permalancers who stuck around for three, six, nine months or longer um, Mm -hmm. at a time that we just kept in uh, but never converted to full-timers. But the fact that there was somebody else there who was around all the time and you were paying them, and they relied on that that income. Mm-hmm. I know they could have got another job somewhere else relatively easily, but it felt different to me. It felt like like you were responsible for somebody else. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was no longer personal. It was no longer just you that that someone else's life and living was dependent on you making sure you made the right decisions about the business and getting new business and doing a ju- good job so you get paid. And that's that was a a level of responsibility I don't think I anticipated, and yeah, that sort of snuck up on me. It's one of those moments where I thought, yeah, this is there's no turning back now. Mm -hmm. This is serious, and need to make a good run of this because otherwise, I've just wasted years of my life. And but also, you know, it's not it isn't just my life anymore. It's other people's. There's other people involved now, and and so you've got to you've got to take it a bit more seriously and start. Start doing a bit more planning, doing just being a bit more organised, having a bit more structure, Uh, and then obviously, eventually, when we do hire full time people, that just steps it up another notch. Where you know these people really do rely on you, and if you do things wrong, then you know people's
1: people's uh, livelihoods could be at risk. You are right; it's that point at which you are you are not critical, like you are really important still. Like if you stop turning up to work, the business would struggle or or would would certainly not just deal with that quickly and easily but ultimately if I stopped going to Lighthouse people would still ring Lighthouse asking for websites the people would still be able to deliver those websites and in my absence if that was a problem would get someone in to do what I'd been doing you know it's sort of that's the turning point isn't it The where mm-hmm. it's like okay now this business isn't me anymore. It's, it's now an entity of its own that I work for. Obviously, I own, have a good deal of influence over. But actually, you realize as well that that influence, that like you try and change it, and it's sort of doesn't change as much as you kind of once it did. Like once it was like, all right, let's try saying this instead and doing this instead, and you just do it. And now, and even now, you know, we're not big businesses, but even now you say, let's do this, let's change this. And it doesn't all change or it takes a long time to change. And you think, right, so it's no longer me. And that's quite, in a way, I, f- I find that quite nice. Like I find it, I find it nice. it's, it's a, You can sort of take the pressure off a little bit with it. Like, cause it does feel really pressured when you're, when you feel responsible, but then once it becomes its own thing, you can sort of say, well, of course I'm influential here and I should do my best, but if it doesn't work, it's no longer me that didn't work, you know? So you can sort of start to be a little bit more like what will be, will be with it. Yeah. I think
0: that's, that's the next turning point to me. That's the, the step beyond, you know, when you're really small to when you Mm -hmm. have scaled a bit, and this, this thing becomes even more serious, right? It steps up a level and you realize that you're now a much smaller cog in keeping that machine running. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be there the whole time. The rest of the, the cogs will keep on going even if you're not engaged the whole time. And to me, that's back to Steve's point, back to Steve's question. That's one of those certain somethings that we get out of doing it for ourselves. It's that you've built this thing. It's almost like, it's almost like having a, a child, I guess, in a way, in that you've you've created this thing that you've brought into the world and you spent all this time bringing it up and getting it to the point right. where it's at. And at some point, it's going to become independent of you if you've done it rightly. Yeah. And it, it should be able to. And that's that means you've done it right. That means you've done a good job. If it can be out there living in the world independently
1: without you, job well done. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what, what do we get out of it? I absolutely think that my my style with it was always once we got people on board. My style was always because it's how I'd always wanted to be treated. Was to be like, you're the important one. You do what you see fit. I will support you in that. I'll give you what you can do. You know, the kind of free love kind kind of style of management. <laughs> that's pretty much the only style of management I'm capable of because I'm certainly not organized enough or disciplined enough to go around like cracking people's heads together and, you know, and, and leading by example, <laughs> no, leading, or, 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 or leading by or fear. Um, you know, I've certainly, I, I can't achieve that. Mm-hmm. So it was the only way I could go, but from what I'd seen and what I'd, you know, what you read, I, t- I was like, well, this actually, this is how this should be done. And not saying in any way that like, I've got it, I've got it right. And you know, it's, it's, it doesn't need, me to change to to make it better in any way but that has that you know you see that work like you see people then just going all right it's okay for me to make decisions and making decisions and they, them being on the whole good decisions and stuff changing when you have an asked for it to change you know what i mean like coming in and being like all right we're doing this a different way now mm-hmm. oh great like i wasn't even involved in that decision but it is a better way it's something I shouldn't be deciding. I'm no longer involved in that part of the business. There's a great book called Maverick by Ricardo Semler. Have you heard of such a book? I have not. He is a Brazilian guy, and his company he runs this massive company. It's like it's like some he's got braces on on the front cover. It's like a proper eighties kind of business book. But um, he basically invented invented. I don't know. He was really innovative manager. And did that like empowered people. Just basically was like, you guys do whatever you want. I think he was even like, you pay yourselves what you want. Like do like a, with a massive company, mm-hmm. and he was always like, you know, he'd go. One of the things I remember about that book was he was always saying that every time he came back from holiday, his office had basically been made smaller and moved. Like so, like slowly, it's just people were making these decisions, but the company was doing better and better. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of. He just let people do what they wanted and they were like, Well, why have you got such a big office? You don't need it, fine, make it smaller. You know, and the fact they were able to do that meant they were also able to change the things that mattered about the business. So yeah, you know, that's like a slight aside, but it's but I think that's when I when stuff like that comes off, that's what makes me happy now, rather than when when I do something I'm happy with. I think
0: it's about finding
1: what it is that's
0: rewarding about it to you. I think it must be different for everyone, right? Or what, what it mm. is that you find to be the most rewarding thing? Um, yeah, and to me, it's it's that we're we're making a difference. We're helping other people's businesses become a reality and giving their customers the best experience they can get. And to me, that, that gives me a warm feeling inside that makes me think, damn, we did our job really well we know what we're doing we deserve to be doing well as a company
1: yeah yeah and yeah
0: that's the reward to me at least that, that I get from it and as long as we can continue to do that i'll continue to think that you know what we're doing is successful
1: yeah that's it isn't it it's um it's that it works in a way that i that i find acceptable you know there's no Like, we do things in the way that, obviously, because me and Tom run it, we do things in the way that we see right. You know, the limits of our ethics are the limits of mine and Tom's ethics, probably, which are obviously okay with me because they're mine. Um, (laughs) But it's, that's, you're right, it's kind of, it's just, it's nice to see it going completely. So, yeah, given that the rewards and workload can be tough, Steve asks,
0: what would, you, mm-hmm. what would you say in terms of the rewards and the workload can be tough?
1: Well, I suppose he's meaning financial rewards. I'd say that's accurate. I mean,
0: yeah, I think both of us could probably be earning more if we went elsewhere, right? Yeah.
1: No doubt. Yeah, def- definitely. But now it's an investment. Mm-hmm. You know, if, like if we're talking purely cold financial reasons for doing this, I think, there's an opportunity now to break through a ceiling that I wouldn't get to in the working for other people. Yes, what well, what you're working on is
0: building value, regardless of how much money gets deposited in your bank account every month.
1: That's it. So you invest. You're you're investing. I certainly in the early days I was investing, and and it's yeah you know, because we weren't getting paid a lot, but now we've got this company. That investment seems it's it's obvious why I did it now. But you've got to, you know, you've obviously got to be able to pay yourself at that point as well. But in in a way, I think that just forces your business model. You know, like unless unless you absolutely, know, unless you need to be earning absolutely tons to get by, then it's just not going to work. Like you've got to be have some flexibility or a safety net there. But if you do need to earn a lot, it's not necessarily that bad a thing. You'll just make the decisions. Like you'll you'll make sure that you can, otherwise it won't work. So hmm. it's not unhealthy to need to make a, a fair bit of money out of it, but obviously it gets harder the more you want, and probably isn't a good idea if you need to just walk out of a really high paying job and and match it month on month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you won't. No, you won't. But yeah, there's no there's there's nothing wrong with wanting to get. Paid a lot for it, and um. in terms of workloads, I think obviously it's going to be
0: a lot more work—a hell of a lot more work than yeah, working for somebody else. It's always going to be because that's just entrepreneurship in general. But how much extra work you have to put in, I think, is really dependent on on you and the decisions you make about how you run the company and, and how efficient you do things. You know, I, I've got friends who have started and run agencies, and I've I've seen them work incredibly incredibly hard harder than I've ever worked
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they've definitely reaped the rewards from it but I don't think I'd be willing to work quite as hard as they did like the, the hours they would put in w- were insane and I, I look at that and I'm scared of it because that's not something I've ever wanted to do if I had to work that many hours to achieve to achieve what we've got I probably never would have done it and you know, we've made it a thing made it a bit of an ambition and a goal of ours to never. To never have to put ourselves in a situation where we, where we need to work it's so hard that it it's it's a drain and it's it's tiring to to continue.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, I think as soon as we started doing this, I was. I mean, I can't work that hard anyway. I'm just not the sort of person that can power on into the night, night after night, at all. Like it just just doesn't work with me. Me neither. But. I realised that there was now no limit, no one telling me when to stop working, hmm. and that the more I worked, the more money we'd get. And I just said, "Well, actually, I'm just going to work nine to five now. Really, you know, obviously sometimes I'm going to work more than that if the project needs it. Get out of jail card, work mm-hmm. the weekend. Yep. But actually, that's fine. Like, and that should be the aim. Like, this it's not scalable to to work and work and work. You know, no, it's 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 too it's, stressful. It's, yeah, it's fine to get out of jail, but it's, it's also not good business. Like, it's it's bad if you have so much work that you're working that hard, and it's paying. Then that's the point that you should go whoopee! I get to employ someone now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you and if there's a reason you're not doing that because you're not making enough money off working that hard, well, that's a business problem. If you're enjoying working that hard and that's that's your plan, well, you've hit your ceiling. Like you can't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yes, you're working more than a normal person, but still a ceiling um of how much you can do. And when are you ever gonna when are you ever gonna step back and and make the decisions to, to grow it if you're if you're if you're that busy. I can understand people that work super hard on like networking and sales and that kind of thing. You know, that that'll will, that will help. But to work hard like doing the, production. the output work, yeah, the production work. You've you've automatically got to start seeing yourself as like a, as a resource to the company. You can't behave like that with a resource and have a successful business. So, yeah, there's no. I don't think there's any kind of honor in, in working, super hard. I think it's um, it's more it's more kind of a symptom of that you're not quite doing it right, maybe.
0: Yeah, I've always felt that way about it as well. I mean, there's no hard and fast rule, you know, it's different for everyone. I think different industries have different philosophies as well about how to get things done and what it takes. And in in our in the digital industry in particular, I think it is a, a bit more relaxed. There's a lot more planning involved in projects and a lot of the work and planning is a bit more quantifiable. So it's more easy to estimate up front what things are going to take to do, which isn't the case in some industries. There's a lot more unknowns and mm-hmm. things that you can't quite put a, a number on in, in such an exact way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel pretty much the same. But it is um, rewarding, and it, is, it isn't. It isn't for everyone, you know. It is hard work. There are risks. Uh, there are highs. There are lows. There, it's it's a roller coaster. Uh, but if if you are determined, you've got a vision. You think you can add value, and you think you can lead people. It's definitely worth worth trying.
1: I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to 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 come to, I don't know if this is Steve's question or one you've put down, but w- would you would you go back to being employed by the man? <laughs> the man. That, a that man. Cool
0: radical phrase. <laughs> the person. Yeah, the person. Yeah. Would you go? Would you go back to being employed by the person? Um, I have thought about this a lot over the years, and fantasized about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just just hypothesized. You know what would happen if if you know the agency had to shut down for some reason, or some opportunity came up Mm -hmm. that was unavoidable, that, that that was a you know once in a lifetime opportunity, and it was actually worth doing more so than what I was doing today. You know, any number of things could happen. You can't predict what's going to happen. Someone could come along tomorrow and offer you an insane amount of money for your business and your clients. And you might have to think very carefully about, you know, mm-hmm. long and hard about accepting that and what would happen if any of those scenarios occurred. And I think I probably would go back to working for the man. Not not the type mm-hmm. of man that we used to work for, probably not an agency. No. I think I would no. I like the idea of going client side and being like a I don't know, like a a a Head of User Experience or a um, Chief Design Officer, a CDO style position in a in a relatively large company, doing with a relatively large product, mm-hmm. working on solving complex problems, but in one one sphere of problems solving, just to see what that'd be like for a while, because I haven't done that yeah. in a long time now. It's been like a decade since I've been in a position like that. The whole industry has moved on a long way. There's some really interesting products and some really interesting teams and the way people go about it today is really different to how they used to do it a decade ago. Yeah, something about that appeals that I think I could do that sort of job really well. And based on the experience that I've had with this agency, I could I could pull that off. And yeah, it, it, that's the sort of thing I think in the, if something were changed that that sort of opportunity would excite me again. I'm not sure I would if if for some reason I was no longer running every interaction, whatever that reason was, that I would immediately go and start another agency. I probably wouldn't do that, at least not straight away. Yep, fair. I look for a different experience. Mm-hmm. What about yourself? If if tomorrow somebody came down and yeah. and bought Lighthouse London, and you no longer had to work for them, mm. uh, what what would you do? Other than take a very long
1: holiday? <laughs> yeah, um, I think I'd have a I'd have a hard time not working with my friends. Which is kind of a cheesy thing to say, but also is now the reality. Yeah, yeah. the people who work for us are my friends, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I do work with my best friend from school. And I think it would be weird to not now do that. But obviously, we can't carry on with our careers completely entwined forever unless we're going to, unless Lighthouse is going to be there when we retire, which is potential, mm-hmm. I suppose. I feel I have like a grass is greener thing with going back into employment, which is like, I think, yeah, I would not, I'd love to go and try and sort out this or that, or go and work for that company and, you know, just turn up paycheck and, and, and do, and, you know, focus just on doing a job and not worrying about everything else. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't, I think I, I think I've got the bug for like building things now. Like, you know, I think, I'd love to like start it again, knowing what I know now, in a weird way. So I think I would, whether it was like straight into building websites again or finding something else, open a B and B. Yeah, that that was my, that was my plan B actually.
0: Like become yeah. a carpenter or something. Like do something completely yeah. different. Like, but then you're starting again. A carpenter ends. with some outlandish SEO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the, <laughs> the best carpentry website in the land. Yeah, completely. But um, um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, uh, I think I think starting again doing something else would be a bit too much of a shift. Like I've spent far too much time. I mm. spent twenty years specialising in what I'm doing. I don't think I can spend another twenty years on something completely different. Uh at no. least I don't think so. Of course, perspective might always blow
1: up. <laughs>
0: yeah. Professional podcaster. Get some right of that
1: down. ad money. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, so I I think about it and yeah, I don't know. I think I've I think I've got the bug now, at least in the medium term. I imagine I'd be trying to work out what to what to start next. Although, you know, I, that kind of worries me as well. Yeah,
0: I would equally be really interested in starting a startup or a product of my own. Mm. Certainly, got a lot of ideas, but it's it's uh, it sounds after having started one company and run it for so long, it is hard work, and to jump straight into doing another thing that is equally, you know, just as much hard work, it seems like need a bit of time off. I'll go get. A job, a job with a man, seems like time off. Really, it seems almost like yeah. the equivalent of a of a <laughs> holiday job, where you uh, are exactly. where it, everything. There's so much more is taken care of for you, and the weight of responsibility on your shoulders is less than it was before. And you're getting paid more for it, and you probably have to work less hours. And
1: Rem- <laughs> <laughs> remember not to remember not to mention this at the job interview. <laughs> I'm taking. I'm applying for this job because I need a holiday. It looks, it looks easy. It feels like it might be easy. Yeah, but yeah, no, cool. Well, let's let's not worry too much about the future. No, that is a long way off, indeed. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, yeah,
0: thanks, uh, thanks for writing in, Steve. That's very helpful. I know uh, a couple of other listeners have also written in to ask some questions. So we'll see if we can get around to some of those eventually. Uh, if anyone else uh, has got some topics they'd like to hear covered, please write in. Uh, we'll consider all the entries. Maybe if we get enough of these, maybe we'll do a different version of this where we try like uh, addressing a few more points more quickly in in a single episode, rather than just picking one and talking for a long time
1: about it and having a crisis about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So thanks to everyone for listening. I've been John Dark at DarkJohn on Twitter from Every Interaction. You can find us online at everyinteraction.com on the web and at Every Interact on Twitter. If you'd like to contact us about this episode to write in to ask uh, any more show topics or to find any of our past episodes, you can do so on our website, perspective.fm or send an email to get at perspective.fm. We're on Twitter underscore Perspective FM, iTunes, uh, all the podcast apps and players and things. Um, just search for Perspective FM. You'll find us there. Uh, all the links to everything along with the show notes for this episode are on the website. Uh,
1: Dan, where can people find you and Lighthouse? So my personal Twitter is at Gentus Maximus and Lighthouse are at We Are Lighthouse um and lighthouse is just at we are lighthouse.com so yeah um give me a shout tell me what i should do with my life <laughs> awesome all that will be on the website along with everything else so thanks everyone
0: and we'll see you next time cheers dan cheers john